Good morning. We'll be in uh, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you've been attending here regularly for the last year or so, you know that we have been doing character studies in the scriptures, except for last week, um, we took the break for the uh, resurrection or Easter message, and this week we will do a little bit of a break, but not quite. I want to speak on character today, but instead of talking about some of the people in the Bible, we're going to talk about the Lord himself. And we're going to talk about the goodness of God. It's something that's been uh, uh, prevalent in my thoughts for the last eight months. Um, Time and again, I've seen God's goodness in my life and um, have really rejoiced in it. And so it's a a subject I hope will be easy for me to speak about. (laughs) So uh, we'll look at some verses. Uh, I did a devotional a while back on the same thing in uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse... 17, and he was setting out on a journey. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus mentions, why do you call me good? I want to speak on on the goodness of God today, because God is good. We just say that right out out front. God is good. And uh, hopefully this morning we'll see that that, that his goodness is is far beyond uh, our normal definition of that word. We like um, good things, don't we? Like to have a good day. Is everybody having a good morning? The probability is that some of you are not. <laughs> some of you probably didn't sleep well last night. It may not be all that good, but I, I hope you're having a good morning. Hopefully you're having a good week, maybe. Maybe a good month. Possibly a good year. I think some of you would say that you've had a good life. And we'd all like that, wouldn't we? And some of us can say, well, not everything's as good as I would like it to be. But I would. I would like good things in my life. I'd like to have good days. I'd like to have a good place to live, a good city to live in, a good country. I'd like to have good neighbors and live in a good neighborhood with good friends so we can have some good times. Love good food. And there's lots of it, isn't there? (laughs) And some of us would say it was a good game last Sunday. And for some of us, we're striving for good grades. Or maybe some of us have achieved that. Maybe uh, in your life you're involved in, uh, maybe at school with uh, drama or, or uh, sports. Uh, maybe this might be true for some of your jobs. You're, you're wanting a good performance. Or maybe you enjoy watching a good performance. And hopefully those of you who are looking for a job or those who found them, you want a, a, good, a good job with a good salary, with good benefits and hopefully good co-workers and a good boss. Who wants you to do a good job, by the way? (laughs) And then maybe you'll have some good vacation time. The good things are important to us. 
Will 2009 be a good year? I, don't, I think we're living in times now where our generation is experiencing things they only heard about before as we think about 2008 and 2009. But wouldn't it be great if all years were good? What would it be like if no years were good? Sometimes we can really appreciate goodness when we think about the difficult times. We'd like good things to always happen, but they don't always do that, do they? For many in the world outside of America, that that's truly is the case. Um, my son came home from Iraq last week, and I got to see him yesterday, and uh, he told me a lot of stories and things about that are happening over there. One of the things that really stuck out in my mind, and it's because I think I've seen it in other places in the world, is that uh, the men appear to be no good uh, in, in a general sense. The women work very hard in Iraq. They only live to be about age 50, and by about age 30, they look like they're age 80. I don't think a lot of them have some very good days over there, and they could use some good news. It really distressed, made him angry to watch it. He, and uh, you could hear it in the tone of his voice as he talked about that and about other things. And I thought, yeah, there are other places in the world where things don't go very well. They don't have very many good days. Things are not, things are not that good. And we really enjoy a lot of goodness here, a lot of the goodness of God. Uh, but still there are problems. Life guarantees problems, doesn't it? It doesn't guarantee success. It doesn't guarantee that things will always be good, will it? In our Constitution it says that we're guaranteed the pursuit of happiness, but it doesn't guarantee happiness, does it? Something I try to teach my children, you know, things are going to happen to you in your life, and it's how you respond to them that's going to make your life. A lot of people have responded very poorly to the difficult things in life and therefore have a life to reflect that. When Jesus says there is no one good but God alone, the first one of the things I think of, wow, at least there is one who is good. And I'm glad it's God. Very glad it's God. The psalmist wrote about him, you are good and you do good. The scripture says that all good gifts come down from the Father of lights. He's the source of all that's good. We can be unsure of a lot of things in life, but one thing is sure, that, that God is good. If you've not realized that, um, I hope you do soon. Thinking about the fact that God does good is real cause for worship. We do that on, on uh, Sunday mornings. We remember what the Lord did, and it's good in our sight because it's had very good benefits for us. It's a cause for worship. But it's good for us to especially realize that God doesn't just do good. He is good. He's good by nature. It's the reason he does good things. He's good in the sense that he's morally perfect. He's excellent and completely free of anything that is malicious or unworthy or, or bad. You can make a long list of the, of the great things about God. Here are a few. He's merciful, very merciful. I, I really love the Lord's mercy. He's gracious, generous, loving, Patient, forgiving, trustworthy. And all these things and more are, are to be included in his goodness and are backed by his goodness. Because if you think about it, it's possible you could do some of these things and not do them with goodwill. You can forgive somebody but not be very good about it. You might even be generous but reluctant. God is not that way. Every time he does something, it's backed by his goodness, and he does it right, and he does it well. The goodness of God is that which compels him to be kind, to be cordial, benevolent, full of goodwill toward people, which we need it most. 
David said, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust you. You think of people, some people tend to be good. I think we can all name some good people in our life. They're good because of their disposition. Not everybody has a disposition that we would call good. Not picking on anybody. But God is good because that's the way he is. That's his nature. He's like that all the time. He doesn't have to have a good day. He doesn't have to have motivation, or uh, he doesn't have to have circumstances to promote him to be good. He is good. I think uh, just over in verse 46, we, we read uh, about Bartimaeus. And they came to Jericho, and he was going out from Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I don't think any of us would ever want to be blind and have great pity for those who are sure would be a wonderful thing to be able to heal people from blindness. And the Lord could. And he would. I, I, I imagine in another uh, parallel passage, Bartimaeus apparently probably had a friend with him. And they probably had heard about Jesus. And they heard about his ability, his power to heal people. And they, were th- they must have thought, well, I wonder if he will heal us. And I think the other things that they heard is that he would do these things, that he was healing people, that he cared about people. And so they were not afraid to say, Son of David, have mercy on us, because they knew he would. They knew he would like, they knew that he would, that he would be good, that he would be kind, and that he would heal them. You know, if you think about it, people have lesser powers and do worse things. You know, if someone else had this kind of power, they would probably go into business and charge a price you and I couldn't afford. And if you could afford it, you'd be on a long waiting list. Well, I'm glad God is not like that. He is good with the things that he has, and he has everything. Jesus would not, would not do that. He would not put us on a long waiting list, would he? In fact, when I think about him, I think the fact that, that he is able and does put each one of us first on his to-do list every day, he treats us like that. I don't know how he can do that, but he's God. He has the ability to do that. Do you imagine somebody with that kind of power, if they were not good, what that would mean? It would mean certain trouble. You wouldn't want somebody with power like the Lord to not be good. It would be better not to be born, I think. Instead, we find the Lord to be quick of sympathy. And every time, I, I love this. I'll never forget this. When, uh, when Charlie and I were doing uh, Bible studies at our homes uh, many years ago, reading about the Lord, every time he would come into a city, they would just bring out all of the sick people, all the lame, the blind, the demon-possessed, and, and he would go through and he would heal all of them. He would have, he would have compassion for all of them and heal them. It was it was, it's just a, a wonderful thing to know that God is like that. By his nature, it's his nature, he's inclined to bestow blessings. And he really takes pleasure in seeing his people happy. Sometimes we don't think about that, but the Lord really, he really does want us to be full of joy and has given us plenty of reasons to do so. One man wrote that God is good as taught or implied on every page of the Bible. 
Never heard that before, and I read that. That is really true, isn't it? If you read through the scripture from cover to cover, even the maps, you can see the goodness of God and, and the things that he does. And his goodness is perfect. He's never been kinder than he is now, and he'll never be less kind than he is. The cause of this goodness in him, it's in himself. He's independent of it. He's the fountain of goodness. He needs nothing else to cause him to be good. He doesn't need anybody else to motivate him. He doesn't need good circumstances in order to do good. He's the source of goodness and the standard of goodness. And whether you know him or not this morning, we're all recipients of that goodness. We are. We, hopefully those of you who don't realize it will know soon, but the rest of us in here in this room who know him, we, we, we've, we have really enjoyed his goodness. And, and we do so every day and will for all eternity. And we did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to, to merit it. And there's no way we could ever pay him back for all the good that he's done to us. On the converse, the, you and I are motivated to be good. We're dependent on things for goodness. We're dependent on God, for one. But you know, you go through life, and there are times in your life, short or long, where things are going your way, aren't they? Things are going really good. And it's those times that you find it easy to be good, don't you? I find it easy to be generous during those times, to be kind, to be merciful. I, I even am more motivated to go the extra mile with somebody when things are going well for me. We can be very generous, merciful. But at any point that things start going south in my life, when things start to fail, so can I. And it's, it's sad to say, but true, that the evil that can come out of me can far surpass that any good that I might have done. You think of the let's go back to the job, you get a good job and things are going really well and then your boss leaves and you got a new boss who's a tyrant and things are not so good anymore. It's a good job but the boss is not great or you get a new coworker who's really uh, annoying to say the least or maybe you've finally found a good house in that good neighborhood and you move in and things are really sweet and you know your neighbors and stuff like that. And then one of your neighbors moves out and decides to rent the house out and he rents it out to somebody. You'd rather he not done that because this person is be becomes, uh, well, as they say, there goes the neighborhood, you know. Then things are not so good anymore. And those times, it, you know, it's easy for us to be bitter, isn't it? Or become selfish, withdrawn, vindictive even, or depressed. It's really hard for us to be good in situations like that. This is not possible with God. Those things don't affect his nature. He is good no matter what circumstances are because he cannot be bad. He never gets a bad attitude. Never. Never. Did I say never? <laughs> the word good is so commonly used that we really need to see that there's a vast difference between the goodness of God and good that we put labels on. You know what I mean? Really, there ought to be two different words. Really, we probably never should have used the word good. It should have only applied to God, a word that he used, especially in the beginning when he created everything. It was good. When he made man, he said it was very good. 
those are those are standards God goes by that the good things we label they don't come they don't come to that mark God is not capable of doing wrong you talk about God we think of his power he is all-powerful he could do anything right and that's great actually he can't do anything he cannot lie he cannot go back on his word And he cannot do bad. He always will do good. It's simply a fact of his character, and praise the Lord that that is the truth. We've looked in, uh, in, the, in the past year or so, we've looked in Exodus and Numbers and the book of Judges, and we've seen um, stories of the Israelites, good times and bad. And, and God was very good to them. From the, he, he brought them out of Egypt, uh, brought them into the land, gave them victories, and yet they, they failed despite his clear presence, his care, his leading. Um, there was grumbling, lack of faith, bitterness, and sin, a lot of sin, idolatry, and just flat-out disobedience to some of the commands the Lord had given. I think if you and I were in those situations, we were in God's position, we wouldn't necessarily be so good to the Israelites. But God was very good to them. Well, if you've been here, you might say to me, but John, I know that things didn't go well. He, he delivered them into the hands of the enemies. That uh, they, they were punished for things, and, and uh, they went through some hard times. People lost their lives. That doesn't seem good. Is it good? Well, you know, from the beginning, after the fall, sin came into the world, and it was not good. God had started off with a holy universe and he intends to make it that way in the end and he cannot allow sin just to go unchecked he can't allow it to have its way and he won't allow it to be present forever yes he does do something about sin and it's good it's a good thing that he does today we there's a there's a very prevalent thought that uh, that god you know he's good he can never do harm he can never do bad he's not going to punish anybody He's good. He can't do that. But you imagine uh, if, we, if we were to allow that to be true for a moment, what life would really be like, what God would really be like. I think if you look at it, it's not something we want. Because the problem is, is that when you let sin go unchecked, it causes a lot of problems. It causes a lot of severe problems. It causes a lot of tragedies. And reality is, is that when things are bad, we, we want deliverance. We portray these things in our own books and our movies. If you think about fictional movies like Star Wars, a movie in the future, or uh, going back to the old times of Knights with King Arthur, you had times when you had uh, evil rulers and evil people trying to suppress or conquer the good people, so to speak. In fairy tales, you have wicked kings and witches who oppress people. In real life, you've got dictators and power-hungry rulers who try to Try to take what's not theirs. You've got them uh, taking uh, countries and making them slaves. Or you look in our own country, you see mafia or gangs that terrorize neighborhoods and cities. And what do all the victims want? They want deliverance. They want justice executed. They know this is wrong. They want somebody to deliver them. And when we make our movies and we write our books we find that we have heroes who come in, and what do they do? They right the wrongs. They execute the justice. 
And somehow when we think of God, we, well, God just, he, he's, he's not going to punish people. That's not going to happen. And that's just not true. It doesn't make any sense at all. If it were true, then he could truly not be good. He might be able to bestow blessings and do good things for us, but there would be this sin all around us, unchecked. All these problems, all these tragedies. And we would want deliverance, but there would be nobody who would punish the wicked. And if God was that way, he would not truly be good. But praise the Lord, he is good. And he will do whatever it takes to right the wrongs, to bring the deliverance. And in the end, the universe will be holy. It will be rid of sin. And yes, there will be those who will be punished for their sin. It has to be that way. It's right and it's good. If we were able to talk to the people who have died, they would, they would convince us. Those, who've, who've, um, those who are in heaven have met the Lord. They've seen his holiness. They live now without sin. And they may have seen it before, but now it's very crystal clear to them the ugliness and the tragedy of sin. And they know beyond a shadow of doubt it's good, it's right that sin gets punished. And the, and the opposite is true too. Those who are in hell. Those who have met the Lord and know, they know now for sure, yes, it's right. I did wrong. I did the bad things. I should be punished. It is clear to me now. They don't want to be in hell, but they know it's, they know it's right. That was good. It has to be that way. You don't, uh, well, you think of the story of the, of the rich man in hell, you know, and he's talking to Abraham. He doesn't, he doesn't ask Abraham if he, can, if he can leave. He doesn't complain and say, this is not fair, because he knows that it's right. And you don't see people in heaven say, you know, Lord, can you bring some of those people out of hell? They know that that can't be. It would not be good. God always does good. He always does right. People blame God also for the presence of the devil. Why did you create him, Lord? Why is he here? Why does he cause so much trouble? And the Lord did not create the devil. He created somebody incredibly wonderful and holy. It was a decision on that being's part to become like he is. God is not to blame. It's very common, too, for people to blame God for the evil that's in the world, as if somehow he created it. He's responsible for it. And they, he, and, they, and they get angry because he's doing nothing about it. Or some people I know who are very upset at God because somebody in their life has died. And to them, it's just it's incomprehensible why God should allow that to happen. Well, God didn't create sin. He cannot do that. He cannot be evil. I always want to tell people, you know, you're, you're looking at the wrong person. He didn't do it. We did. But God is the one who takes the blame. And, and it's, it's amazing because God is doing something and has done something about it. And if people could only get even just a sense of what he's done, it would, it would amaze them. Hopefully it would amaze them. It was explained one time, I heard this in our church, and I, I've never forgotten this. But if you think about it, if, if sin is allowed to go unchecked in the world, if people are allowed to do what they want, 
And we get into a situation, even like in Noah's days, where everybody just did what was right in their own mind. And you remove the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, and you don't have any believers in the world. What would this world be like? What, but what's happening is that God is restraining a lot of the evil. He does permit some things to happen, but he's using all of this, all the things that we do for our own good. Yeah, there are bad things happening, and they will, because this is a sinful world, and God is not responsible for it, but he is actually restraining so much. This world, if you were to take all the God's influence out of it, it would become extremely dark. It would, I, you know... If God had not intervened with the flood and the things that he did back in the beginning, there would probably be no people today. It would not be a world you'd want to live in. So we come to the, the uh, one man wrote, Yet in the maddening maze of things and tossed by storm and flood, to one fixed trust my spirit clings, I know that God is good. You look around, there are things that are happening that should not happen. But God is good and he is here and he is doing something about it, rest assured. Every day, 24-7, and he never sleeps, God is good. He is masterminding all the things that are going on in the world. He has got perfect motivations, perfect methods that he uses in people's lives in the perfect measurement at the perfect time. I think of, uh, of just, just the way uh, all of us who are saved can realize that. I look back in my own life. What did God use to wake me up? He used my own sin. He let it come to me in the right measure, just enough to make me realize, wow, hello, there's something wrong here. And that's when I went to him. I prayed, Lord, there's something wrong. Now, I, I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know the scriptures. I didn't understand sin or anything. But I knew something was wrong. He let just enough happen in my life to wake, wake me up. And I think a lot of you could say the same thing too. You realize you know, God could have, if he'd just done a little less or a little more, it might not have worked like it should have, but he's perfect. Even, in, even allowing our own sin to, to wake us up, he's perfect in how much he lets happen. And if I had to go through it again in order to be saved, that's exactly what I would do. I would not want to change a thing. Anything to know the truth and to know God. We have to understand it was a good thing he did that in my life and yours. Otherwise, we would not be here today. and We would not know him. and We would not have the hope we have. And now that we know him, now if, if I were to sit down and each one of us were allowed to come up, a lot of us could tell stories of God's care of us since then, how good he has been to us, the things that he has done for each one of us. We could tell story after story of the way he provided, the way he saved us from situations, the, the things that he allowed us to do that were beneficial to others, the, the things that we learned from his word, just one thing after another. I'll never forget a story I read in a, in a, in a magazine many years ago about uh, God's particular care of a, of a brother, J. Boyd Nicholson. He had been uh, preaching in Africa. And when it came time to leave, unfortunately, the country he was in was in turmoil and people were fleeing the country. And so he couldn't get on the plane he was supposed to get on to get out of the country. And uh, they told him, you can't stay here. You've got to get out of here. Um, so he had by 2 p.m. to get out. 
Well, it turns out that there was this plane, uh, a British plane, that made an unscheduled stop there at that airport where he was. And they agreed to take his luggage on that plane, but they told him, the plane was full. There's no room for you. But he knew somehow it was God's care for him. He knew God was, didn't, didn't forget him, didn't leave him alone. And he got on the plane. And he went looking for a seat, and apparently there appeared to be a seat there that wasn't occupied. And when it t- came time to leave, the stewardess said, you know what, I don't understand it, but it's yours. And it just happened to be in the first class section. And then when it came time to, uh, to serve the meals, uh, they were serving steak to the first class uh, passengers. And, uh, but when they got to him, they had run out. So he got a meal from the economy class. Well, it turns out there's a guy in first class who, who can't eat steak and switches with him. So now he's, you know, he, he's on a plane that he's not paid for going to a destination he hadn't planned for. He's headed for England. He really wants to go to Canada because that's where he's from. Some of you remember this story. It's just, an, I'll never forget, it's an amazing story. Well, it just so happens that he's sitting next to a man who, who's one of the executives of the airlines and uh, listens to uh, Mr. Nicholson talk about a situation and the fix that he's in. And he says, don't even worry about it. I got it all covered. They land in, in I, I guess it was England uh, or London. You know, he made sure that he had a hotel to stay in, breakfast the next morning, and a ticket to Canada on the next plane out. Yeah, you know, I, that, would, that would just put me in tears if, it was, if I had been there, you know. It almost does that to me now when I think about, is, is God really that good? Does he really take care of his people that well? You bet he does. You bet he does. And in fact, we consider his goodness just not correct to compare his goodness with our goodness or the goodness of other things. You know, there are a lot of good things in the world. You know, a lot of us have seen a lot of wonderful places. You know, every year most of us get to experience Yosemite and the beauty there. We get to experience uh, just the wonders of this world. Um, every year, I have four kids, and every year I've, I've, they have to do this project where they talk about the water cycle in the world and, and, and how water comes from the clouds and comes to the ground and things grow and, and water ends up evaporating and, and there's this continuous cycle. I'd love to go into it, but I can't right now. But there are processes and, and laws and things that are at work in the world that, that are a wonder. And there are places to see and things to study that are incredible. You know, tens of thousands of different, just different types of flowers. I love orchids, and there are more orchids than, than you probably could count. And how God made all of them, the different colors and everything that they are, is just amazing. And these are good in our sight but not as good as the one who made them. We call these things good, and we say God is good, but there's a vast difference between the things and the creator who made them. It would be very similar to looking at somebody like Michelangelo, who, who did a lot of art, a lot of paintings and sculptures, and each piece is wonderful in and of itself, but it's nothing compared to the one who made all of them. And it's easy for us to, to look at the things that are made and not, not think of highly of the creator like we should. His goodness is 
far beyond the good things that he's given us, the good things that we experience. We consider uh, good people, and we call them good, but they're nothing compared to the good God that we know. You know, we look at somebody like Mother Teresa and how she lived, and we say, well, she did so much more than other people. She's really good, you know. Other people are okay, but she's really good, as if she somehow is the standard, and she's not. We put her on a higher plane because we compare her to others. We tend to grade people on a curve. We tend to judge goodness in that way. And we want to be careful not to do that when we start to talk about God because he doesn't belong on that curve at all. He doesn't belong being compared to other things at all. You know, you hope to get A's on your tests and maybe you're happy you got a C. The instructor says, well, you should have done better, but you're thrilled you just got the C, you know. The, the two different uh, levels of goodness there, I think. We like to tell people they're doing a good job or they've done a good job. And we say a person is a good person. These are all okay, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it, and I'm not saying it's, it's wrong, but we want to remember that the goodness of God is he's, it's not that just he's better than us, it's that he is off the scale compared to us. We don't belong being compared to him, and his goodness is something that's immeasurable, whereas our goodness is very finite. And actually, our, our goodness can tend to have problems, I think, uh, we could agree that good people also do bad things, don't they? That's not possible with God. We can have ulterior motives for some of the good things we do, or maybe we have incentive to be good. You know, eat all your food, you can have dessert. Oh, you, oh, that's good, you ate everything. Is it really good? We mislead ourselves, don't we? <clears throat> or we're, we're often good because we know if we don't be good that bad things will happen. So we've got incentive there as well. So our good is, is imperfect, even without considering our motivations. Our good, our good changes, doesn't it? It fluctuates. It's not permanent at all. And it's flawed terribly. And if you think about labeling people as good or doing good things, the one thing we have to remember, what do we have that we didn't receive? God made everything there is. He made all those things that Michelangelo painted or sculpted. He made all the stuff that made the colors for his palette. He made his brain and his body that was able to paint or make certain things. Even, even the good things that we might label other, other people, ultimately, it was God. All good things come down. All good things come down from the Father of Lights. And even as a Christian, our behavior and our lives should be exemplary. And many Christians have done many wonderful things in the world. But it isn't because the goodness comes from us, is it? It comes from him. I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for him. And the things that I do, I'm motivated out of love for him. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to score points for myself or score points with him. I do it because I love him. I do it because he put a goodness in me that was not there before. And now I can do things that I would not have done before in a way that I would have not done before. We conclude then that Jesus is right when he responded to the rich young ruler. There is no one good but God alone. And we see all the goodness in the world comes from him. And we see that Romans 3 
is right. And when it says, there is, there is, when speaking of men, there is no one good. No, not one. Not even one. But what about so? No, not even him or her. That's the scripture says. God's goodness. It's far different from ours. It's permanent. It's unchanging. It's the way he is. And his motivations are all good and they're perfect. He cannot do bad, not ever. He does good, always. He doesn't have to try to be good. You and I have to try sometimes, don't we? That could be a, tr- tr- a struggle. But he doesn't have to try to be good. It's very natural for him. And he's not getting better and better. I hope that next year I'm better than I am this year. For God, he doesn't have to get better. He is perfect. He is perfect. Without him, there would be no good in the world. It's good that God is good. And if he wasn't good, I'd I'd rather not exist. His goodness brings me hope. It brings you hope. And we need that in this world. Because he is good, we are all the recipients of his love and his grace. He is amazing. If others seem good, he is good. If others are good in measure, he's good beyond measure. Even when the skies are dark with clouds, God is good. I mean, think about J. Boy Nicholson there in Africa. No way to get out of there. Was God not good? He was good. It looked bleak. It didn't stay that way, though, did it? God did not forget him. And Jesus puts the commandments before this rich young ruler. You know, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. He goes through the list with him. And this rich young ruler says, yeah, I've done all these things. At his standard, probably, but not at God's standard. You don't read in the scriptures about this rich young ruler going around doing good, but you read that about Jesus, because he did. And just to show you, you know, this is the way the Lord is. What if people actually did not commit adultery, did not commit murder, did not steal? Just these few things on this list. It would radically change our world. Radically change our world shows you how far we've fallen, how far we are from true goodness. And it's good to remember that we, when we read these words, it's a good God who wrote these things down. It's a good God who gave us these things because we needed them. It's so common in, in when we are first hearing from the Bible, you know what? You don't know God. You're separated from God and your sins are keeping you from knowing him. And he, he wants to save you, but your, your problem is that you're facing hell. And we don't want to realize that because we quickly look at other people around us and say, well, I'm not as bad as this person over there, or as bad as that person over there. I can, you know, I can't be in that much trouble. It's because the goodness that you look at is at a level in your own life and those around you. It's not the standard. It's not God's goodness. It's not what he will judge by. God has been so good to us, hasn't he? We try to measure his goodness we cannot especially when we think of the cross there god took something really bad and made something really good out of it he took the worst thing that ever happened in all of time what was that the son of god was put to death on the cross by by people it never should have happened it was the worst thing that ever happened in all of time And this is a whole other message to talk about God making good out of bad. 
But God, while His Son was on the cross, poured out the wrath that you and I should suffer for our sin, for us not being good. And while Jesus was on the cross, He paid the price for every man, woman, and child who ever lived, who lives now, and who will ever live in the future. And He made it possible for each one of us to be saved, that we might know this good God. He took the worst thing that ever happened and He made something incredible out of it that I could be saved from my sin that I could know God and that I could be with him forever there's actually an element of his generosity in there too because if you think about it Jesus could have died for our sins but God didn't necessarily have to give us heaven he could have just been compassionate enough just to save us from our sins but he went far beyond that far beyond that because he's good if you ask the question you know in the last 24 hours who's been good to God who's done good for him or done good to him. He is continuously doing good to us all the time. Well, I think when we think about the goodness of God, it should compel us to be good to others because that's what he wants. He says, when you do some of these things for others, it's like you've done it to me. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And so we should be compelled to do that. We should be compelled just because it's good for us to do that. But how much more so in light of the fact that he's loved us and done what he's done. So if you're here today and you, you don't know the Lord, you, you, you're hearing about God's goodness and this sounds nice to you, you've not seen anything yet. And you need to realize that your situation is not good, that you don't know the Lord, and that you need to know about what it is he's done on the cross for you. He wants to be good to you beyond your wildest imagination. But your sin is far bigger than you think. And you need to reckon with that today. Because I'll tell you something. God does, is not willing that any should perish. He wants to be good to all. But he will not make that happen. You must be willing. You must come today. And in light of his goodness, won't you do that? Let's pray. Lord, we think of your goodness today, it's immeasurable. We, we say, Lord, that another word ought to be used or we should never use that word again when we think about what you're like and what it is you've done. And I realized this morning, Lord, just standing here that I just have barely touched the subject of your goodness, of what it's like, how you are, what you've done, who you've done it, before, who you've done it for. But we say with the psalmist this morning, Lord, you are good, Lord. And you've done good. And we've not deserved it, but we just really rejoice, Lord, that your goodness has been bestowed upon us. We might be recipients of your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, because we need it ever so much. And Lord, I pray for those of us who know you today that it would be our heart's desire that we would be more like you, that we would practice this goodness. It would be behind everything that we do, that we would want to be more like you. You are an inspiration, Lord. There is no one like you. There's no one who even comes, no one who even comes close. And so this morning we thank you for your words. There is no one good but you alone. And we are so thankful for that. In your name. Amen.